Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast, where our mission is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. I'm Jen Lemmy. I'm joined by my co-host, Chad Simpson. Hey, Chad. Hey, Jen. Chad, today we have a young Christian coach. Okay, this guy has come into our lives different ways, but we've both interacted with him. Um, his name is Eric Spangler, and he's a tennis coach now at Haverford College, and ju- he just moved there. Um, this past season before he was uh, the coach at Goucher. Um, and he's just done a great job at Haverford right away. You know, Haverford has a good tennis history and he's been able to come over and and and, and do a great job and maintain that tradition of success that, that they have there at the men's team. We, I ran into Eric in one of the lessons that I taught for Celius later and we've talked about her and her, her project and he was in the class um, and then he reached back out to me and was like, wow, I, you know, I just rededicated my life to Christ. And it's so cool to see a, a Christian coach, you know, doing doing things in, in the tennis world. Um, and it's been it's been so fun to to help him in this transition. And he, you know, we text him back and forth almost every week. And it's been great to, to see how much has grown in this last year and a half that we've been in contact. Yeah, and I can tell that that Coach Spangler is is humble and and a learner. He's he's tuned into um, our our coaches connect uh, Bible studies by Zoom, and uh, you can tell he just wants to wants to do things right. And you really get to hear um, at the start of his his coaching journey, coaching story, um, what he's working on. And I think this might take our coaches back. We all can reminisce what it was like in in year one, year two, year three as a young coach, and. Uh, yeah, I, I love hearing this this story, this transformation uh, of his life, and we're ready to get into this one right now. Coach Eric Spangler, thank you so much for coming on the Christian Coach Podcast. Um, what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? Hey, good morning, Gian. Thank you so much. Now that this is an excellent question. Uh, I've listened to some. So I knew it was coming and um, spent some time in the past, you know, several months kind of going over uh, a mission statement and philosophy for my coaching and personal life. So it's great timing for the question. Um, you know, what I see is, is that being a Christian coach is obviously uh, objective. You know, you, you follow certain um, objective uh, laws, I guess, in terms of uh, biblical teachings, but it also becomes very personal. And, you know, translating to, to my coaching, I think is one of really leading by example, um, leading by Jesus's example, because, you know, he, he said it for us in the Bible. And it, it's not an easy one to follow by any means. But I think what he showed us was uh, certain things such as um, just being a leader, going against the grain um, a lot of the time and standing up for what's right and standing up for those that are underserved and also, I guess, reprimanding when things are, are not going correctly. And especially as a coach, you have to be on both sides of this, um, building equity in your team. And so I really think, you know, being a Christian coach is, is being patient, being uh, generous, you know, and, and it's really being ready to to lead from from a place that your heart and and your beliefs come from. Yeah. So, 
that's that's how I see it. You know, in my life personally, it translates to, like I said, someone leading by example through my actions, through my words, um, through my daily habits, because those are seen when you're a coach. Have you noticed that it's become harder to, to be a Christian coach in uh, the last few years or, or easier? Hmm. I would say, gosh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> a little bit of both, because personally, I've grown stronger in my faith um, in the past really 16 months um, significantly through through various things that we'll probably get to talk about. But it was much easier when there were, I guess, less less of the um, social events that are happening that is just scrutinizing everyone who's in charge of an organization or, you know, has their words out on the internet somewhere. Um, it, I, I, I think that's not harder to act, but there are more things to consider when yeah. you make a statement. Yeah. <laughs> I, I found, I found that the, the closer I am to, to God, the, the easier it is to be a Christian coach. And it's just simple, but, but it, takes, it takes that intentionality to spend time in the word and to, to live his way in order not to be too, too involved. in it. you got to be involved in society, but not, not get your values and your identity from, from what society says it should be. Um, let, let's go back now several, several years ago. Um, if you told young Eric that now you'd be a conference-winning tennis college coach, um, what would he have said? He would have said, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> why, why do you say that? Uh, well, I, you know, I grew up around a lot of sports. I grew up around uh, tennis. My dad was, um, he was a teacher who would coach tennis camps in the summer for, Uh, to engage the community and to earn money and things like that. And, and I enjoyed being around it, but I wanted to play soccer when I was young. And, um, and then when I did get into tennis, I was not at all interested in teaching it. <laughs> I, was, I was nervous on the court. I was, um, I, I wanted to play, not, not coach. And, um, you know, even if it meant winning or having success, I, it still was not, It was something that made me very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. And I didn't see at that time that there were so many other factors that would either allow me to get more comfortable or break through the comfort zone as it was. And I was just afraid, I guess, to yeah. put it plainly. <laughs> <laughs> why, why do you think you had that fear? Um, I've thought about this a lot. You know, it comes down to one, just being a bit, Uh, uncomfortable in front of groups um you know this is something that I've worked on through my coaching and um through my during my time in grad school I was able to work on that uh I mean I think that was just a very basic thing of that made me uncomfortable um also you know I saw myself doing something more in the science of um Uh, you know, anatomy, physiology, some sort of research, maybe, you know, as I was getting older, I saw that. Away um, from people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, not necessarily, just maybe more more structured than coaching tennis sure. or, um, you know, working in, in uh, you know, so, something that, that I was dealing with 
like sciencey, you know, technical sure. stuff. I thought would be really cool. Yeah. Um, so now, how, how, give us a little bit of your junior tennis life. Why did you decide to stick with tennis? And then how you got now to Goucher? Sure, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll go back. I mean, I think that it, I've told, told my story a few times and I can't give much credit to myself in, <laughs> in anything. It, it's very much a story of stepping stones and, and people helping me along the way. But I guess, like I said, my dad, he was coaching summer camps and I would just be there five years old with my little racket. Not, you know, the 19-inch junior size racket was batting the ball around and having fun and then playing soccer as much as I could. And then uh, roughly around age 11, give or take a year, I <clears throat> had to make the decision to do, um, you know, like travel soccer or start playing more tennis. And I was kind of in between, but I grew up an only child and tennis, you're, you're on an island when you're playing. So I guess I was used to that. And I didn't yeah. like depending on someone else to be my goalie. Yeah. So um you know, I chose to pursue tennis and, and my parents were really supportive. So they, um, they, we found a community organization uh, living down in Southern PG County in, in Maryland, not a lot of tennis going on, but there was a wonderful community organization called PGTEF that had an excellent coach who's now um, um, the head coach of um, Howard University's teams. And um, his name is Nick Askew. And um the woman who ran the organization, Brenda Gilmore, is absolutely a leader in the USTA and the world of tennis as well. And so they had a really good thing going. And it was like $200 a month to play tennis. So that was perfect for us. <laughs> so it was really accessible. And yeah. I got to play with a lot of good players. And, um, you know, we learned from, from Coach Nick, all discipline. We learned fitness. Um, you know, he, he was a triathlete himself. <clears throat> he was he was an amazingly fit individual so you know I appreciated that aspect a lot starting a little bit later you know in tennis to have perfect technique you really got to start by 10 or or 8 learning those things and I didn't yeah. really start that up until you know 11 or 12 so um, I really appreciated the other portions of it the training so anyway that was a big start for me being able to enjoy have a great community of tennis and um, you know that definitely leads into how I coach now but from there uh, being a community organization, you know, there's turnover. Um, uh, when you get a new mayor in the system, you know, the whole organization has changed. So uh, at that time, I transitioned to College Park Tennis Center, which was, uh, you know, about 30, 40 minutes drive from us, but it was very expensive. And my dad, um, he was willing to take me there and to uh, tutor, tutor the, the full-time students so that I could go and play um, at a rate that was working for us, you know. So uh, a lot of respect for my dad looking back on that now, um, you know, giving three or four hours of your day, three yeah. to five days a week is, is not an easy feat. So was he uh, also you know, teaching like it, tennis at that time? No. So he had actually stepped out of, of school teaching and he was in real estate. So he was, okay. uh, became a real estate appraiser and was doing, um, rental properties and things okay. like that um so yeah i was given that opportunity and college park you know they wanted me there and i actually trained i was about 16 and a half now so i had about a year to train for college 
And I said, wow, I'm in a cool place. There's people from all over the world here, people way better than me. I want to get better as much as I can, go to a, a really good school and play some tennis. That's, that's all that matters now. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually had a year where I trained under Chuck Creasy. He was doing a couple of years um, at College Park Tennis Center. And I mean, he's got an amazing legacy in college yeah. coaching and written books and just had a major impact in the tennis world and he kind of took me under his wing along with a couple other players and so I, I found myself getting you know they say get one percent better every day I think for that year I was getting three percent better every day and I really really liked it so uh, from there graduated high school um, found opportunity at Salisbury University to play tennis it was you know about two three hours away um, really loved the team, loved the school, had my major of exercise science kinesiology I wanted to study and, and so went there, um, had a pretty good career. I started out playing number two on the team. I didn't expect that. I didn't think I was, you know, that good, quote yeah. unquote, but it, you know, it was just, I learned a lot in the past year and I was on a big upswing for tennis. So there's a lot to be said about someone who starts a little later and is on an upswing. Yeah. Um, you don't plateau by the time you get to college. You're exactly. Still... <laughs> exactly. So I was learning a lot my first year and then I really got comfortable on the court. Um, and, you know, I had some hiccups. I had a really good start to the year. It was my first fall tournament. I almost beat a player that was like top 10 in the country in D3. <laughs> yeah. I lost 6-4 in the third set. And so I, I – I had no idea who he was. I was just out there playing tennis. It didn't matter. <laughs> and then my next spring, I, I went, you know, like one in five against players that were not ranked. And so, you know, I learned a lot that when you're in Division Three, it you can play well one day, you can play bad the next day, but everyone's tough. You know, yeah. it, it might not have the technique to blow you off the court with 130 mile per hour serve, but everyone's tough. And my coach, Randy Halfpap, was very encouraging. He said, you know, it's a tough start, but you're going to do fine. You know, just keep at it. You'll have a breakthrough moment. So I had a good, much better rest of the season. And then, gosh, I think from there, uh, starting sophomore year, I only lost maybe four or five singles matches the rest of my career, playing two and then one. And really, it was great coaching, excellent coaching and mentorship from my head coach and the assistants. And I worked hard each day. But I can't still take that much of the credit because they're doing scheduling. You know, they're training us. Um, I just came in and I agreed I could work hard. Yeah. <laughs> and at that time, I started finding value in studying the game. So I read the book of Inner Game of Tennis, uh, amazing book. I read um, uh, all the pro books, Pete Sampras, Andre Agassi, yeah. Rafael Nadal, whatever I could find because I was enjoying it. But, you know, I'm still having a good time in college. I'm studying I'm, I'm doing internships I'm, I'm learning and and um, so I just really appreciate the opportunities there at Salisbury and then upon graduating actually I should rewind for a second something really funny when I started college my first year I remember telling my dad dad for a career I don't want to coach tennis and for after college I don't want to go to grad school <laughs> Now, rewind or fast forward yeah. to my senior year. I'm graduating shortly. My coach, Randy, he says, Hey, Eric, I need a grad assistant. I think you'd be a good fit. You can be a grad assistant, um, get your master's for free, 
and coached the tennis teams, the men's and women's tennis teams over here for two years. Uh, whether you want to go into tennis or not, you know, I know you yeah. care about the game and you'd be great. I said, oh, okay. So that would mean I'd be coaching tennis and going to grad school. <laughs> I'm sure your dad still remembers that. <laughs> I think so. I think so. He was very supportive. He, I think, you know, he went to University of Maryland um, to study engineering back in the 80s. And he said, I never want to be a teacher. And then he was yeah. a teacher for 25 years. So I think he could relate. God, God plays easy. those tricks on us sometimes. <laughs> Isn't it incredible? It's absolutely incredible. But, you know, I think he, he, he's kind of playing those tricks, but he's also, he knows what your fears are. Yeah. He knows what makes you uncomfortable. And you get put opportunities to be put in a position to face those and you can take them or not. But so I took it and I said, you know what? I'm starting grad school. This is great. I'm going to enjoy being with the teams, but I don't want to coach tennis as a career. I, I want to go into the science. Yeah. You know, I'm really studying physiology. It's great. So I had a good first year. Um, I think I was more devoted to studies than to coaching tennis. I mean, I did the best I could while I was on the court, but um I, I didn't see myself having a future. So, you know, that conducts your mindset a little bit. And then I started my second year of grad school. I said, you know what? I want to do the best I can. This might be my last year coaching. I'm going to spend all day on court. We had like 18 guys and 15 girls or something. So we had a ton of players. And I said, yeah. I'm going to go on court with anyone that asks me for private lessons, for team training, whatever. You know, ask for extra responsibility with the teams. And Coach Halfpab gave it to me. And And then my second year of grad school was underwhelming. You know, we really got into more practical stuff and I thought it was not impressive. I thought that the system that I'd be working in would be uh, very limiting for, you know, my beliefs about health and fitness and um, just generally wellness, you know, because you're very restricted when you yeah. get into um, clinical work in the health field. And that's okay. I mean, we need people to do all those things, but I thought that, if I were to find a career in coaching at that time, I would go for it. And so um, ended up, you know, really being devoted to tennis. I had an amazing time coaching. We brought in an excellent recruiting class for the next spring. So I stayed on until actually the fall, until I stayed one extra semester. And I was planning to be there the whole year. We had potentially the best Salisbury team in 15 years coming. Well, we got a transfer from Division One school playing at the top. And just our whole lineup was, you know, just young players that were yeah. really solid and juniors. So we wanted to see if we could win the conference. And then I'm at the regional tournament and three or four coaches come up to me and say, Hey, you seen the Goucher college job? Goucher college opened up. That's a really good job. And I said, Oh no, no, I'm having a good time. And they <laughs> I'm about to win every gear. match I play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got a great class. I'm having a good time yeah. here. And they said, well, you know, take a look at it. It's, 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 It's in a great area. They're full-time for, for one team. You get to focus on one team. And in Division three, that's not so common. And um, really, the one coach that you may know, I don't, I'm not sure, in Southern Virginia, named Tom Snelson, yep. um, he really pushed me. He said, you know, man, I've been through a lot of coaching positions. This is a great one. If you turn it down, you might regret it. So I said, okay, I'm going to apply. But before that, I could talk to Coach Halfpath. And this is one of the defining moments um, I see in, in why I like coaching is because I sat down with him at the end of that fall regional tournament weekend and said, hey, coach, I think I'm going to apply for this job. I think I could get it. And he said, it's a good job. 
And I said, um, yeah, it is, but I don't feel comfortable leaving you. You know, we have plans for me to take the, you know, women's team to certain matches and you stay with the men's and vice versa. And recruiting, you know, I've, I've got recruits on the radar and whatever. And, he, and I said, are you sure you'd be okay? I know, I mean, I know you'd be okay without me. I'm not that important, but. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I, know, I know I'm supposed to be here the full year. And he yeah. said, no more questions. All I want is whatever is best for you. And that was yeah. it. And that's all he said. And then he said, that's all. Yeah. And that meant so much to me. It, yeah, I just did not expect that answer. But him saying that, uh, which would put more work on his shoulders, put more responsibility on him, potentially impact our recruiting a little bit. It didn't. We had more good players come in because yeah. he, he's been there 20 years. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> but that was huge for me to hear yeah. that. So I went for it. Um, I was able to get the position um, here and I finished at Salisbury December 18th. And by January 1st, I was moved into Baltimore. January 4th, I was in California recruiting for Goucher. So <laughs> it was a really quick turnaround, but yeah. it really is an excellent position. I've been given a great opportunity by my athletic director and other coaches here are just really high quality individuals. Um, and I've been given a lot of freedom to kind of work with the program that was suffering for um, they, they didn't have a coach in the fall. They had an interim coach kind of on court, but yeah. that was it. So a lot of things happen with recruiting and with coaching that you need to re repair. And so we ended up having a really good first season, uh, got a conference title. Um, and then we were going well in the fall and started in the following spring 2020 and then COVID happened. <laughs> So now that's kind of where we are now. Yeah. Uh, COVID impacted us. We often have international students and, um, you know, students from all around, far around the country, and it's limited our international exposure and whatnot. Yeah. But now I've been able to see just the value of spending time building relationships with players, and I wouldn't trade this job for the world. So I think when I said I didn't want to coach tennis for a career, I was thinking I don't want to coach clinics for eight hours a day. Yeah. You know, kids that um, are just in massive groups and things like that. But I like coaching the tennis because running a program, you're able to have these personal relationships. You're able to impact players and tell them, "Hey, I want what's best for you." Sure. Yeah. And that's and that's where we are now. I can relate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Absolutely. I think I think it's uh, it's different. There's it, it's still teaching, coaching tennis, but it's different in the settings. You know. Um, and so I, 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 I like college coaching for, for the platform it puts me in to, to make an impact in the lives of my athletes. Um, early on in our conversation, you talked about how the last 16 months, God has been really working on you. Um, give us a little bit of your faith background and why has the last 16 months been, been key in your faith journey? Sure, sure. I'd love to. Uh, I grew up in Christian household. My, my parents um, well, one grew up without religion in his household. My dad did, and my mom grew up Catholic, but um, they both, uh, before they, they met, became Christians, and interesting stories about both of those, but, you know, they learned what they wanted to believe, you know, I guess, about, about that, and they studied the Bible uh, often, so we were always you know, involved in churches and whatnot, but 
when I went to college, I was still involved. I would go to church when I was back home every now and again at college, but I don't think my faith was guiding my actions every day. And it wasn't a strong faith, but I knew I was, you know, a believer. So it held me back from going off the deep end per se. And I never had one of those moments, but I just say that in terms of, I, you know, knew what, what life, what I wanted life to be about. And I wanted it to be about what God wanted it to be, but it didn't guide my actions every day. And so upon coming to Goucher, moving to Baltimore, I met our head golf coach, Hunter Brown, who started the pro golf program here from scratch, built the men's and women's programs, and in his first year, won conference championships, completely unheard of. <laughs> he is built an incredible program from, from nothing, and at the same time, getting his master's in theology, being a leader in his church, um, writing curriculum for, the, for his church, and um, you know, taking care of, of his wife who had significant health problems, a lot of time spent there. So this guy was so much on his plate and I met him and I had no idea. He was just so, so quiet and, and humble and peaceful. And we became friends. And I say, Hunter, you know, I, I really want to get involved with my faith more. Um, where do you go to church? Do you go to church that has any weekday services? Cause I'm coaching every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so he invited me to their Bible study group called discipleship group. I mean, it's more than just Bible study. Yeah. It's, it's community and, and discipleship. And so I got to go, um, and then uh, probably around the turn of the year of getting into 2020, I, I started going to the church, Freedom Church, and I absolutely fell in love with the church and the community members there. It reminded me a lot of where I grew up in Southern PG County in terms of um, you know, how the church uh, acted and how the people uh, communicated with each other and, and just very relaxed and non-judgmental. And so, you know, being a coach where I don't show up every week because yeah. I'm gone a lot of weekends, it wasn't a problem. Everyone was there to welcome me. And so uh, I said, talked to my parents and I said, hey, you know, I really like this church. I want to join and I want to get baptized here. And they told me that they saved my baptism for when I would make the decision myself consciously instead of yeah. doing it at a young age. And I said, that's really impactful. I'm ready to do it. So. Uh, I believe it was March 7th or 8th, 2020. I got baptized, joined the church, and it was a great fun day. Everyone at the church was was applauding and having a great time. And we had a uh, lunch afterward, and then COVID happened the next week. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm extremely blessed that I got baptized because that's just the physical uh, significance of your beliefs. That's putting your your spiritual and your mental, emotional beliefs into the physical form and showing it to other people. And if I had not done that, um, I felt different, absolutely, right away after getting baptized. But if I had not done that before COVID, I would have had to wait because the church closed down for several months. And what that did was, was put me on a journey of kind of exploring my daily life through the Lord guiding my actions. And I'm very, very blessed that during COVID, I, I had stability um, you know, financially and with my job and with my family for the, for the start, at least. And I was able to, to kind of look at my life yeah. from the right perspective. 
And so that was a massive moment in my, my faith journey. Um, and so it's, and then we had a couple of trainings with, with recruiting. We had with Dan Tudor. Um, we had where I met you on the coach yep. development training sure. through North sports. And those things are all, I felt coming out of my belief as a Christian and what the Lord wants for my journey, rather than trying to do things from, you know, just myself. It's, it's amazing difference. Yeah. So that's kind of where I've gotten now. Um, and I'm very honored again to be on the Christian coaches podcast <laughs> <laughs> because I do feel that uh, the Lord is guiding my coaching and my interactions with my players more so than ever. And, um, and I'm just very thankful for, for how that's all turned out. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for being vulnerable and uh, sharing. Um, my, my last question is, what um what is the importance of having that life group in church right that community group that comes together often um and do life together even during you know throughout covid when you know things are not going so well and during a season when we can't attend church on sundays um how, how important is that um that group of people around you oh it's it's gosh you know we, we pray as Christians, we pray, um, we read the Bible, but life is meant to be lived with other people. Yeah. And that's how everything we do in terms of, you know, our individual actions get translated to others and back into ourselves and our beliefs. And so I think it's one of the most important things to have a community. And, and I'm still a part of the same discipleship group. We have a text chat going where it can be anything it can be. Hey, um, thanks for, uh, you know, making dinner the other night. So-and-so it was really good. <laughs> can you pray for me? Because my family member died, you know, it can be anything completely yeah. just, uh, and we meet weekly now in person yeah. now that the, the virus has subsided. And I think that that has just had a huge impact. I can talk to these friends about anything. Um, and, just being able to do that really has raw conversations about your life, about the church. And I think the community also engages us to question those things. You know, the Lord was, uh, Jesus was, was questioning all the time. He was yeah. addressing every subject. He, you know, he was constantly saying this needs to be better. This, this isn't right. You know, yeah. just, looking at things and you know, we look at our church and we look at our leadership in our church and we look at our work and we look at each other. And I think that's why community is the most important um, when it comes to translating your faith into the world you're living in. Yeah. Well, coach Spangler, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Um, how can we be praying for you? Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess in terms of the last, subject we said pray for me to help me build my program into this same sort of community um you know we've got a lot of new guys on the team we've got a lot of guys that were hurt during covid you know in terms of what their goals were and i want them to be a similar community to my discipleship group to live life together um i'd also ask for prayer for my family um i've the passing of both of my grandparents in the past six months and that weighs very heavily on being able to function during the week i think i think we underestimate the toll of a family members suffering yep. um, on how we can act 
ourselves and, you know, to be sensitive to others when they have similar situations. So just for prayer in that. Um, and yeah, I appreciate it. All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for coach Eric Spangler, uh, his leadership, um, everywhere he's been. Um, Lord, thank you that you've been working hard in his heart here the last year and a half, Father, that, that you've really taken a hold of his life and, um, and the guidance um, that, that you want for him, Lord. Um, Lord, I pray that as, as the season continues, Lord, that, that he'll be able to build his team into a community, community just like his um, church group, Lord, that, that they can do life together, that can trust each other with the hardest of, of news, um, with the greatest of news, Lord, that they can, they can be a support group for each other, those players, um, and, and give um, opportunities for Coach Spangler to, to share your message with them in, in a way that is impactful. Um, and Lord, be, be with his family, Lord, that you're a healing God. And that's, and that's enough, Lord, that we, we can put our, our hopes and our stress and, and, and all of our, our issues on you, Father, that, that you um, love us, um, that, that you have us in your hands, Father, that you, you're a loving Father and, and just want the best for us. Um, Father, thank you again for this conversation. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. This uh, this was such a cool episode. Uh, you know, both of us, we have the tennis background and, and this podcast isn't just for, for tennis, you know, but we're, we're excited to bring some of our friends and uh, and colleagues on on here to share with uh, the podcast. Um, and I just love Coach Coach Eric's, his uh, just humility to learn and grow. And I just remember for me, uh, I heard it from Coach John Wooden. Um, Coach Wooden, every year at the end of his year, he would go and do um, extensive research in one area. He would define a, a, a weakness or an area of improvement. And I mean, Coach Wooden, he won 10 out of 12 national championships. If anybody has the right not to keep learning, keep growing and keep improving, it's him. Um, but that was one thing that I remember um, going back to, to just try to define one thing. Let's get better in, in recruiting or in strength and conditioning, whatever it might be. And I can tell Coach, Coach Spangler is, uh, is growing just from doing the right things of getting with mentors like you, um, learning from others. Uh, but what stood out to you, Gian? I love the conversation, Chad, because you can still feel how much on fire for Christ he really is. And he just, and he wants to do the right things, you know, and, and, and hopefully he doesn't fall into the trap of, of just doing the right things instead of just trying to abide in Christ, you know, but I, I think he's on the right path. You know, he, he talked about how he got baptized a week before COVID happened and how that actually helped him shape his new life philosophy and, you know, his purpose. And, I, you know, I think if he ne- he hadn't got baptized and COVID happens, he probably could have gone a different direction there. Um, but hey, I liked how he talked about the importance of having a discipleship group where you can do life together. And that's always a recurring theme in our podcast, Chad. But I also like our chat um, about is it easier or harder to be a Christian coach nowadays? What, what do you think, Chad? What's your opinion? Oh, man. Um, I think, I think, uh, are you saying... Nowadays, like current culture, G-Man, or yeah, 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 I don't. I think uh, people from the beginning of time, you know, there's always been sin, there's always been culture shifts and and issues and stuff. So I think it's always been hard. I can just speak to the last ten years for me to be a coach. Um, probably the hardest thing is more just the age age gap. Where when I started, I'm 23, 24 years old, still 
able to relate. And then at the end, 33, just one step removed now with a wife and three little kids. Um, so I think just learning to um, still relate and speak the language of a, of a younger person, that may be the challenge that I could see. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, being a Christian coach and trying to minister to these young folks, the message never changes, but the way we transmit the message has to change. And so I think that's a big area there that, that is of uh, concern for me. But at the same time, there's so many new ways of transmitting that message that I think helps as well. For sure. And and I think it really does just show you how important it is just the, the generation um, generations to keep giving back. You know, we, we need to be learning from guys in their 50s and their 60s and 70s and 80s. Like um, and and just as people age up, it doesn't mean uh, you shouldn't keep pouring in. I'm thinking look for look out for those coaches uh, beneath you that are younger than you or less experienced. And uh, we have a big opportunity to um, invest within our athletic departments to so the coaches that that need a helping hand. Yeah. And Chad, the, the extra question I asked Coach Spangler was about how do we increase the improvement rate in our players? Not how much how we can make our players better, but how do we increase the improvement rate? And that was a great answer by Coach Spangler. If you want to listen to that extra question, just go on our Patreon group on uh, the Christian Coach community on Patreon. It's been fun to, to just put out content there as well. And it's just been great. Um, to have these conversations with old coaches, young coaches, tennis coaches, football coaches, all, all around. And it's um, always a great reminder, Coach, that the mission field is right where you're at.